This is Coda Radio, episode 111, for July 21st, 2014. And welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hey there, Chris. How are you? Man, I am I am great. I am like exceptionally great today because uh, right a little bit after we wrap up, not exactly after we wrap up, but a little bit after we wrap up, I'm gonna jump on a train and ride down to Portland for OSCON, and I'm looking forward to my train ride. I think that's gonna be nice, you know, relaxing. I got a good Insta paper list with me that I'm gonna be reading as I go down. So I got like reading materials, but they got Wi-Fi for the whole ride too. It's like a three and a half hour ride or almost a four hour ride. Leaving tonight on a train, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited. Uh, do you? And I know you're a Pocket user. Did you switch from Instapaper to Pocket? Uh, I've used both. I've gone back and forth. I like the tablet layout on Pocket a bit better. And at the time when I first switched, I liked that it was cross-platform. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now Instapaper has that though. It does now. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of. I went back, but I always wonder if I'm. I don't know because I use it quite a bit. It's it's like it's critical to my workflow. Well, we got a good show today, episode 111, and uh, I have a couple of bits of feedback. You know, I, I, was li- I was listening back to last week's episode, and I noticed, like, we trashed on Glade, like, a lot in that episode, and nobody wrote in to defend it. I didn't see a single email defending Glade. Well, Glade is kind of terrible. <laughs> There's no defense I get. I thought, but you know, dude, it's the internet. I thought for sure somebody would be offended. Like, somebody, like, maybe the developer of Glade was listening or something, but nobody. I guess Nobody cares about yeah, Glade. Yeah, I guess that just shows you, right? All right, well, why don't we start with uh, what we did get email on. Uh, Hunter wrote in, uh, finding my niche. And I think a lot of us could ab- appreciate this. Uh, he's, Hunter is a 20-year-old. He's a sophomore in computer science. And it seems every hour, he says he changes what he wants to do in the programming world. He wants to know how he could possibly ever find his niche. I feel like I'm becoming a, a, a mile wide and an inch deep in everything. Thus, I feel like I don't know anything. A master, even I couldn't have ever called myself a master or even maybe intermediate level. Uh, this has got to be something you face where you just always want to jump around. It's a phase, right? It's a phase, yeah. You'll eventually get to the point where, like, where you just don't want to jump around anymore and you become crotchety and old. <laughs> I like that with Linux distributions now. No. Yeah, I'm like, if it's not Arch, I'm like, what's up? I just don't even bother. All right, what is the Arch thing? Everybody's like, Arch, Arch. Uh, The Arch thing comes down to uh, when you get to be an old and curmudgeon and you're sick of, like, uh, all of a sudden somebody gets a vision and they ruin something you love. Or uh, you want, like, the new software right away. Or uh, those, or you just want to be able to swap out certain parts of the system yourself, and right. uh, it, it's really accommodating for that. Plus, then it's combined with a, a really good documentation wiki that's really exceptional. It's probably, I mean, it's probably just a totally unmatched and probably any open source project in the world. 
I don't think could probably compete. I might be wrong, but I don't think any open source project in the world could compete with the Arch Wiki. So that's an incredible resource. This for me because you know I'm doing the shows and I'm always talking about open source projects and I want to always try out the latest stuff. For me, it's great because like the week something comes out, I get it on my machine from the uh, Arch user repository. So one of the big things about Arch is there is a huge community of people who are packaging up just about every single thing you would ever want and making it available just a few commands away. So you never go out and search for anything. You don't have to go find PPAs like you do on Ubuntu and add them to your system. It's all part of the Arch user repository, which is then married with a web front end that has comments and votings. So... Uh, you know, you can see if there's a problem with that package or if you have a problem and you can see other people if they ran into that problem. And if it's got a low amount of votes, you know it's probably a bad project. And then there's also a system so you can see when a project kind of is being neglected and so somebody else can volunteer to take over that in the Arch right. repository. So it's very fresh, very vibrant. And then the, the, the key thing is it's basically just straight upstream code packaged together. Arch itself almost isn't even a distribution. It's basically straight up Linux with Pac-Man managing the files. And you take out all the politics because it's a loose-knit group of people who are working on this. They're not building some grand operating system that wants to dominate cloud, mobile, and desktop. They're not the biggest enterprise vendor in the world for Linux desktops and Linux servers. They're just a distribution of about, of about 30 guys that work together on something. And the end result is it's a no-fuss, no-politics Works really well, high performance Linux distribution. That is not super easy to set up, but there's other distros out there. Like we just had an interview with the uh, one of the developers of Manjaro, who is essentially it's it's Ubuntu to Debian. He's taken he's taken Arch Linux with Manjaro. They're taking Arch Linux, and they're essentially Ubuntu fine it, making it easy to install, giving you a nice desktop. Antergross, another one that does that. So yeah, essentially it's like, what if? What if we all had our hopes and dreams pinned on Canonical winning the you know an Ubuntu desktop becoming the Linux standard and then they blew it? What happens? Well, this is what happens: is you get different iterations, and so if you want just the best GNOME experience, you know you go this way. And it's a bas- basically what you're seeing now is a lot of different things are coming up and sort of answering perhaps that gap that could be widening that Canonical could be leaving on the desktop. Mm. So yeah, you move around, but that's a good example. You see, you can move around, and eventually you settle. Right, you settle down and you stick. Yeah, with it. I, I think you end up settling with one or two things. I mean, just thinking about like development platforms or frameworks, people tend to um, people tend to run around for a while, and then you just you, know, you become so efficient in one or two technologies that it just starts making sense to yeah kind time of just, saving. And also, when you get busy yeah. and you actually start you know using it for work and whatnot, uh, that yeah, was kinds of exactly. Things. Odin wrote in, and I think he totally, 100%, absolutely misunderstood what I said in last week's show. He says, Chris, it appears you claimed on the last Coda Radio that selling free Libre software is morally objectionable. Now, what's ironic about that was that I actually said you should be doing it because it helps the open source projects. But anyways. Nope, that's what he said. Don't listen to this. This lies. Which he says, this seems weird to me as the largest open source company in the world is doing just that. And I don't seem to see any calls to arms against them. He's talking about Red Hat there. The way I see it, taking open source software and selling it for money is not only technically allowed in the GPL, it's even encouraged. And this is true whether you have modified the source or not. If you don't agree, then... We may have a difference of opinion about what selling software means, and if so, you can please help me understand that 
And he says he gives us some links, like he links to Microsoft's Windows Server and things like that. And it says, why is Windows Server one thing and Red Hat Server is not? I think he like absolutely misunderstood me. I actually think that open source projects need people to go out there and sell their services and sell these things as implementation. Now, what I said is perhaps morally questionable is if you take LibreOffice and you burn it to a DVD and sell it to somebody for $100, you are absolutely allowed to do that. Should you charge them $100 for something you downloaded off the web and burnt to a DVD? That's for you to decide. That was my point. I'm sorry, Chris. I thought you said open source was communism and a cancer. Actually, uh, I, what I think I said is we all need to go out and buy ourselves a heck of a lot of commercial software. Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. Yes, you yeah, no, commercial yes, software. Yes, go buy commercial software. Good, good. I mean, really. Because remember what we had was we had the question is, is we had a viewer who wrote in and said, is it immoral if I want to go out there and you know, sell my services and implement open source technologies. Like, I, no. I, yeah, I think what started this whole thing was I was talking about I don't necessarily like the folks who, you know, they'll sell you like a GUI wrapper around diff, right? Around right. a Unix diff tool or something. Yes. And I was saying that I think that's a little questionable. Um, and I think people took that and, of course, subscribed it to you uh, to mean that yeah. doing anything with open source is objective, which, which isn't, right? You know, there I have seen like Mac apps where uh, the developer just basically wraps up the underlying CD burning command line stuff and sells it as a GUI for like fifteen bucks. You know, I don't actually consider that to be immoral. If you can wrap a really nice, easy to use, value add GUI around a command line tool, some people just check out when it goes command line, and so for them, it's worth paying fifteen dollars to get all the functionality of that command line app in a GUI. I I can understand that. I don't think that's immoral, but I think you know when you start. When you start talking about reselling certain types of free software, you do just, you know, whatever you charge, I guess, is what the market will pay. But that's your own moral choice. I mean, we don't need to get into it again. I think there is certainly a line where it just gets weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little skeevy, maybe. Yeah. All right. Well, Lampy2 writes in. And he says, hey, Chris, Mike, and the IRC chat room. Hey, look at him calling out the IRC. That's cool. Oh, the IRC. He says, first, what's with you and Node.js? Is Node.js good for everything? No. But can it solve problems? Yes. Just because one guy, yeah, I know it was one big guy, is leaving, it does not mean the end of Node.js. Just because the creator of Fez makes no games anymore, does that mean games are dead? No. That never suggested it was the end of Node.js. I think what we suggested is perhaps a dialing back of the usage for all these random things, right? I think it's like every time somebody writes a why I'm leaving platform Y for platform Z, everybody has to have a little bit of a, a fit. Yeah. And so that's the end of the platform, I guess, Y in this yeah. case. Yeah. Um, so I never said Node.js was dead. I said that some of the exuberance is starting to calm down, right? Which is good. Yeah. It's time for some real work. And stop coming. Excuse me. Stop coming up with everything. I'm using a text editor right now. This this uses Node.js, so I don't have any way to talk. I am, apparently, I am no longer an authority on this Which topic. Which text editor are you doing? Harupad. It's a Markdown editor. Interesting. And it's yeah, yeah, right. I know. It's it's funny. Like there's been a few apps now that I've come across that are like Chrome embedded or Node.js, and it's blown my mind, Mr. Dominic. All right, our last bit of feedback. One of your follow-ups. I put it in here just for you. Squid No One writes in. He says, I've been asked to do a few internship interviews recently and wanted to share my feedback on the FizzBuzz testing. For me, everyone, all five of the interviews I've done, have all known and properly used the mod operator 
Only one person made a program which produces the correct result, though. The others had minor errors which would make it too fizzy or too buzzy uh, or failed to print the real number when not replacing. I still like the test because it lets you watch the applicant work through a problem and potentially notice when they realize there's a bug in the program and fix it. I just wanted to share my experience. Thanks, Squid No One. Fizz Buzz lives on. Continuing to, to change lives, apparently. Uh, hey, before we, uh, before we jump into the next topic, Mr. Dominic, you all right if I take a break right here and thank Linux Academy? Let's do it. Some fantastic sponsors of the Coda Radio program. And I like Linux Academy a lot because I think it's a good resource for you out there to go get your skills up to the next level. Not only are they going to teach you on Linux, and they have all kinds of courses that can help you learn Linux. They have 7-plus Linux distributions you can choose from, and then they adapt the course material to match those distributions. But they're also really focusing on AWS. One of the core guys behind Linux Academy is huge in the AWS ecosystem, so this is a big passion for him. And he's making sure to integrate not just, oh, read this point and then read this point, but extensive study guides, audio and video comprehensive guides that go along with it. But then I think what's really kind of key to their approach is this scenario-based training where they'll give you a, a job that you need to build something that ties in S3. It, it ties in EC2, obviously. It ties in a lot of the Amazon Web Services. So that way you connect everything and put it all together. At the end of the course, you've actually completed a shippable product. It sounds incredible, but their courseware makes it possible with their downloadable guides, their self-test and self-paced study guides. Also, they spin up a virtual machine for you when you need it, AWS or not. So that way they manage all the back-end server stuff. They even pay for that for you. It's all part of the Linux Academy subscription, which you can get a discount by going over to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders, too, just to let them know, hey, you know what? We really appreciate you being here for the month of July. Thank you for keeping one of my favorite shows on the air. And while you're over there, maybe create an account, go in, see if you do a few courses, keep track of your progress, self-study. When you have the time, you do it. You can download one of the MP3s and listen to your car. Why not? They have more great stuff coming all the time, too. If you need to get up to, up to date on virtualization, the LAMP stack, OpenStack, any of these new technologies that you can utilize to make yourself better, to maybe make yourself charge a little more, get something done faster, or just educate yourself, or test the waters and see what piques your interest. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. So many great resources over there, too. In fact, I want to encourage you to check out the community section. It's really interesting because you can engage with that community, and they will become a support group to keep you motivated, to keep going. You can give people updates, and they really engage with you, and people are there for you when you have questions, and then people celebrate when you've reached milestones. It's pretty incredible, and it's, I'm really happy to have them as sponsors. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders, and go check it out. It is so awesome. Really, there's never been a better time to get your skills up there. Get learning. It's the summer. Why not get that done? LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Thanks, guys. So I had a topic that I was going to throw at your face. Did you have something you wanted to open up with? No, throw it out there. Okay, now give me a, give me a minute to set this up because I think at first it's going to sound a little eye-rolling like we've been here, done that. But I think things have fundamentally changed, and I'm talking about Microsoft. So let's talk about real super mini recap. Uh, a week ago... We had the uh, announcement of the massive layoff, 18,000 jobs, much of which will be coming from the Nokia division. The week before that, it was the Microsoft Vision uh, Partner Conference, I guess, big conference where they made some big announcements, talked a lot about their device market share. I want to get to that in a second. And then the week before that, we had the big Satya Nadella memo that set out the vision and culture of Microsoft. And all of this is... Katana. Sorry, continue. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> All of this has really been building towards fundamentally reshaping Microsoft. And one of the things that I think cannot be overstated enough is at their vision conference, Microsoft said, and we talked about this briefly, uh, I think it was last week, we now have a 14% device share and we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity for growth. We want to reach 30% in five or 10 years. I mean, really kind of some modest stuff, some frankly, brutally honest stuff. If you think about the big dog monopoly, Microsoft now saying, we're not 90%, we're 14%. And I think when we talk about breaking up Microsoft, one of the things that people used to always talk about is Microsoft needs to be broken up, get Windows broken off, get Office broken off, and blah, 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 right? But these analysts never really fail to fully understand the interlocking mechanisms and synergy of the whole Microsoft ecosystem and how they all were connected back into Windows. Bomber Bomber has said it himself many times, Windows is the priority at Microsoft. Nothing is more important than Microsoft is something he said just a couple of years ago. Back in 2004, he said, nothing, nothing is more important than Microsoft. He said it many times, is nothing more important than Windows, right? But now they're saying, now, now they have a 14% device market share. Windows is obviously no longer that important. In fact, Satya Nadella even said so himself. He said services are what's important now, right? So this, this reason why it really never made sense to break up Microsoft in the past was because they were so dependent on that Windows ecosystem to make the whole product offering work. Now that's no longer the case. And in fact, now they have a new set of priorities. The problem is they recognize this issue But I believe Microsoft is impotent in their ability to actually deliver on the results that they need. The reason for that is systemic corporate culture. Uh, Over on Strategery.com, they write, The problem was escalated by Nadella himself, or mentioned by Nadella himself, after an interview on The Verge. Nadella was sitting down with The Verge, and he says, At the end of the day, this is after his memo, Look, any strategy gets eaten for lunch if you do not have a culture that is also changing. So he admits this is a fundamental, this is going to be their Achilles heels adjusting this culture. But the problem is, you have got more than decades of Microsoft CEOs chanting, nothing is more important at Microsoft than Windows. That's Balmer's statement, that has been Bill Gates's statement over and over again. When Nadella said culture will eat uh, will eat change for lunch, he was referencing a famous Peter Drucker quote where it said, culture eats strategy over breakfast. Uh, but as we've seen, it's almost as certain to going to happen. If you look at history and other companies, this almost always happens. They say these things, but the culture never changes because it's core to them. It's, it's, it's a weird thing about human collectives. And then you add in this problem of adding Nokia to the Microsoft mix. This, you have to go back in time and look what happened here and understand why Balmer bought Nokia. And did you know that Satya Nadella said to Balmer, do not buy Nokia? I don't think it's a good idea, among others. But Balmer made the stupid decision to buy Nokia because, and now we know this is true, at the time, Nokia Nokia was working on shipping Android devices. Now we know that's the case, and now we know Microsoft's going to kill them. But you could see how Balmer, that must have struck him to the core, because in Balmer's world, everything depends on the Windows monopoly. When you want to standardize the industry, you make it work on Windows, because then it works on 90% of the things. This is how Balmer saw the world. So his response was to buy Nokia to prevent them from switching to Android, which I think is fascinating if you look back now over the history and see it was sort of a panicked move. In doing so, though... Balmer dramatically compounded the Microsoft culture problem and his 2004 vision statement where he said Windows will be the focus of Microsoft. Now, when Nodella takes over, he has the problem. He's now saddled with a $7.2 billion anchor and 34,000 new employees. 
So that's the thing about this 18,000 employee might cut is Microsoft, even after this 18,000 employee cut, will still be 16% bigger than they were before the Nokia acquisition, even after laying off all these people. And could you imagine how brutal it's going to be over the year that they roll this out, never knowing when the Axeman stops? In fact, the mini Microsoft blog touches on this so well. In the 2009 layoffs, they say, culture at Microsoft was devastated because we never knew when the layoffs were actually over. You never knew when to let your guard down. You never knew if you were next. And for a year, it drug on. It became a horrible, toxic environment. Well, they're still going to have this problem. And I think, and I agree with the the strategic repost, Microsoft can only truly reach its potential as a services company once they jettison the Windows division. Because as long as they're dragging the Windows business along with them, they're not going to be focused. They have to jettison this. And if you look at, okay, back in 2002, sure, that would be crazy talk if you actually did it. But nowadays, I think it makes, I think it gives Microsoft the opportunity, if you could split things up, they could own the services side. Because we've talked about on this show, like, if you're dependent on GitHub or you're dependent on any of these back-end infrastructures, Microsoft has decades of enterprise-grade knowledge, uh, methodology, uh, relationships, all of these things, they could really get cloud-hosted infrastructure right. They have, they are one of the few businesses that could potentially truly unlock this like nobody ever has. And the strategic repost says you split them up into two groups. He says you create two companies, the, the devices side, which includes Windows, Windows Phone, Xbox, and let them do the best they can. Let them grow that 14% they want in the next few years. You can make Kevin Turner the CEO. Windows Profits would keep that new company going for years while they figured it out, and they could even maybe get up and, and, and build the next new operating system. And then the other company, what he says would be the more interesting company, and then I'll wrap this up, the service side, at the productivity side, as Satya Nadella calls it, this company would be built around Office, Azure, and Microsoft's consumer web services, including Bing, Skype, and OneDrive. These products do not need Windows, and in fact, they need permission to be the best regardless of the OS and the device. And if you split those two up in just that way, Microsoft could kick ass in that services department. There could be a huge, huge benefit for developers, and they could really own that space that's still pretty nascent. What do you think? Am I crazy? So I, I think there's a couple of things uh, that you're kind of overlooking. One, all right, so we're we're not devices and services anymore, right? We're cloud and what is it? Cloud productivity and, uh, and productivity. mobile. We're cloud productivity and mobile, which is really a weird way to say devices and services, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's a I way mean, to say we're focusing on one thing, and that's three right. things. Yeah. So, so the other thing I, I kind of took away from Dell's memo, which I did read, by the way, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, real page turner. Well, it's it's like it's corporate speak for so you guys are going to go home and not come back tomorrow. Yeah. And uh thanks for joining the team Nokia and now get the fuck out. Like <laughs> Yeah, well, and Nadella was yeah. never down with that. You know, so, so you, it's you bought you bought a hardware manufacturing company and then proceeded to fire a large percentage of the Well, they talk people. about they say in this uh, in this post, uh, they say, you know, uh, basically, Balmer felt that if they lost Nokia, that would be the end of Windows Phone. And so it was worth the culture hit of absorbing those people to prevent their number one hardware partner from pulling out of Windows Mobile. All right. Let me let me let me take it to a crazy level. Would it have been so bad if they had lost Windows Phone? 
Exactly. It would not have. This is why they need to be jettisoned right. from the Windows division and be able to uh, – the services side needs to be able to prosper on its own because that's baggage that just cost them potentially the market. You know, their software offerings are still pretty good, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're a top-tier software company and a surprisingly crappy hardware company, or maybe not that surprisingly, right? Like – Okay, they can. The Surface Pro three looks awesome, but it's also touch expensive for the normal user, right? They're they're just not doing it, and and I don't I don't think they can because they can't turn back the clock and make the PC a premium thing. They can't turn back the clock and make you know the iPhone never had had like a five year lead or ship Office with the first RT tablet in Metro. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things you could say. You know. Monday morning quarterback and say, well, you know, they needed stronger management to tell the office team that I you guys aren't so. beautiful snowflakes. You have to go touch first, too. I think when you I think what the way and I'll have this article linked in the show notes, I think the way when you read through this, you realize a lot of these mistakes have one common thread and it was protecting the Windows monopoly at each step of the way. So I, I actually think it's right for them to. And, and monopoly when you have fourteen or thirteen percent market shares. Well, yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess if you look at it, if you include mobile now, it's not a monopoly, is it? If you say devices instead of personal computers, they're nowhere near a monopoly. In fact, they're losing. Yeah, yeah, and that's really how we should talk about it now because you do your computing yeah. on all these things. Right. I mean, I did. A, I was supposed to be home today, but I ended up working. I did a lot of my work on the iPad. Tim Cook says he does eighty percent of his work on the iPad, <laughs> which, to be honest, makes sense if you're if you're doing management, right? You really, you well, I suppose so. I just the idea of the uh, world, one of the world's richest company CEOs, doing all of his work on the iPad seems a little far fetched. Ah, <laughs> uh, to be honest, I'm I'm pretty sure that's going to be the way of the future. Well, I yeah, you could be right. CEOs aren't necessarily the most technical people in the well, big co- corporation. Forget about like CEOs. That. How many? I mean, there's very few IT admins and very few developers relative to the number of white-collar knowledge workers, right? Right, especially... Folks who are doing spreadsheets, letters, and email. Email's the killer app of work. Well, and especially <laughs> in work computers where they're often pretty locked down already, even when it's a full Windows machine, right. it, you know, it, it probably has group policy on there. They can't install software. Maybe they can even only run certain applications. So yeah. they already I mean, work I, with those limitations, I could I totally suppose. see a scenario where the iPad is, you know, maybe the iPad with a... So let me ask you this. Why wasn't it a Microsoft-IBM partnership? Because it makes so much more sense to me. Microsoft has Active Directory. They have group policy. They have network-wide device management. You can do uh, Windows update services. You can patch manage all of your devices in phased rollouts. You can tie in Windows tablets with that. You can tie in Windows Phone with that to an extent. Doesn't it seem like a Microsoft-IBM partnership makes a jillion more times sense than an IBM-Apple partnership? Isn't this another indication of Microsoft's feebleness? So I actually think an IBM-Microsoft partnership doesn't make sense for anybody, right? If you, just Apple does not compete with IBM in anything. They don't even have XServe anymore, right? They don't even sell servers. There are no Apple IT consultants. I mean, unless you're... You know, there might be like one company somewhere. I'm sure we'll get the hate mail from them that says, we do Apple IT admin all the time. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Microsoft a is a direct competitor to IBM. I mean, right. IBM's trying to sell you a big-ass Unix. And yes, I mean Unix, not Linux, right? They still sell those. Yeah, that's a good point. Whereas uh, IBM's profits are in no way detracting from Apple's profits, and Apple's profits no way detract right. from IBM's. 
I mean, I, I would think, you know, and I think this is what Intel is doing. His competitor is Red Hat. His competitor is Amazon. And Google. In terms of S3 and Google. What Google for is office. small. Well, for Office. Yeah, I'm thinking more of the enterprise. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's still, I, it's still not I, as I much of in the enterprise space. Office is kind of the past, too. I'm thinking the Microsoft's future is in the Office the 365 in a Chrome browser. Well, not, it's funny. I was using Word in a Chrome browser earlier today because someone wanted something as a dot doc, mm-hmm. um, and it was easier just to pop open Microsoft Office and Word. Uh, I'm sorry, Microsoft Office in Chrome. Yeah, um, that's why. No, I it, mean it works on Linux too. That's what I do. If I have to open up a doc, I yeah, because sometimes you lose the formatting or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, what I'm getting at is. I mean, look at their growth business, right? They just had that big conference, Azure, right? Uh, Microsoft Web Services, Microsoft uh, mobile, mobile Services. I know these are all kind of subcategories of Azure, but that's kind of where they're going, and that's where Nadella is from. So this idea that like, I, I just don't see it. Like, I, I don't see any kind of consumer-grade... I mean, they're always going to have Xbox. They're always going to. They're going to, and they're going to keep milking Office as long as they can. But, I mean, would you disagree? I, I think their future is in the infrastructure for what other companies develop on, and the IT infrastructure is for large I enterprises. I do too. I, I completely agree with that, and that is why I also agree that they don't necessarily need the Windows anchor, and that if Windows was off on its own, it might become more successful. The services division and and all of that almost does better when they don't have to even think about Windows. If it, Okay, so let's say they ran their Azure stats, and they realize that the majority of Azure instances are Linux-based, right? Their still core motivation isn't going to be to make the most kick-ass Linux system possible. Their core motivation is still going to be to make Windows a Class 1 product on that and get more people using Windows on Azure. That's still their main goal. And I think if they divorced from that goal and just said, Azure is as badass as possible, if you want to run Linux and Java on Azure, we will give you the best platform to do it. And they'll never do that with that Windows anchor. Not because of what Nadella is from, but because of what the the entire company. They're already doing that. I, I know plenty of companies that right now are running Linux on Azure. I know. that's, But you see, my point is, is they're, st- they're still going to always try to make it a Windows-first platform. It doesn't matter what it is. Azure, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. I guess I'm not seeing your point. All right, my friend, why don't we do this? Let's take a break, and I think I can probably better reiterate my point, and we'll talk about our favorite company, DigitalOcean, DigitalOcean.com. I'll tell you why it's our favorite company. Both Mike and I have a lot of our infrastructure on DigitalOcean. So let me tell you a little about them because if you're not familiar with them, you should check them out. Because it's not just Mike and I that love them. Hundreds and hundreds of Jupiter Broadcasting audience members are absolutely in love with DigitalOcean. And here's why. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Now, normally users can get started in about 55 seconds, although there's some folks in our audience that have gotten that down to 32 seconds, 31 seconds. It's It's unbelievable. The digital, it, you can really, you can attribute a lot of that to the DigitalOcean dashboard. And here's what you get for $5, $5 a month, 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer connected to tier one bandwidth in data centers all over the world. In fact, DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and now a brand new data center in London, which is how uh, viewer Corky was able to get his droplets spun up in about 31 seconds. Now, here's the best part. 
right? Corky's taking advantage of this incredible dashboard. It's something that I really reflect on as somebody who's been in the industry for about 15, 16 years, provisioning servers for a huge portion of that. I would have, I, I don't know. I mean, if you could travel back in time and tell young Chris how easy DigitalOcean was going to make it, but yet powerful at the same time and intuitive to deploy a cloud server, I, I, first of all, I'd say, what's the cloud? That sounds ridiculous. Are you actually using that word? But once I got over the word cloud, I would be super impressed. And of course, it's because their interface is so intuitive. And power users can even replicate it on a much larger scale with their straightforward API. And you're starting to see the community around DigitalOcean really grow and take advantage of that API and make nice tools that make using DigitalOcean even easier from your desktop, from a server, through a script, all of that kind of stuff. And here's the best part. I told you it's only $5 a month. Well, if you use our promo code Coder July, it is all still July for a little bit longer. Coder July when you check out and you'll get a $10 credit. That $10 credit will let you run that $5 rig for two months for absolutely free. Isn't that amazing? And DigitalOcean is unique because they invested in SSDs early on. They recognized the power of KVM on Linux and how that was going to help them increase their density. But when you pair it something with, with like KVM, with SSD drives, where they have that incredible read-write I.O., which means your density goes way, way up. KVM with, KVM with great... One of the great things about KVM and modern Linux distributions is they're actually aware they're being virtualized. And this is a good thing because they don't have to pretend like they're talking to some old physical network card or some old disk controller. They are intelligent enough to know that they are part of a virtual machine, and they address those devices accordingly. That massively improves throughput. It lets all of the, all of the machines kind of cooperate a little bit better because the virtualizer is much more aware of the different I.O. loads. But when you stack that on top of SSDs and you pair that with Tier 1 bandwidth, this truly makes DigitalOcean a unique offering, and it shows you their insight that they realize that they could utilize all of these technologies and wrap them up with an incredible dashboard, and they even powered a new generation of users to have their own server up in the cloud, and you can try it out for two months for absolutely free when you use the promo code CODERJULY. DigitalOcean.com. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And I'm now, Mr. Dominic, sit back down. I will attempt to reiterate my point. I think it comes down to a matter of focus and motivation when you have teams of people inside there developing products, where they're at, where they're coming from, what their directive is, what the entire group is thinking about, what they're working towards matters fundamentally. I think it breaks, makes or breaks a massively successful company from a company that just sort of putters around and never quite gets it right. That's where they're at right now. They putter around, they have some really good stuff, but even then, maybe it doesn't hit as high of a note as it should. If you have companies that are radically focused and from top to bottom there is sort of a consensus of what everybody thinks, what the culture is, you don't have these fiefdoms, you don't have Microsoft Office holding back uh, an RT slash Metro version of Office. All of that gets flattened and reduced when there's no longer this concept of an operating system platform that you're also trying to maintain. And and uh, some of these consumer devices that are like Windows Mobile that are really just non-starters that are just boat anchors on your products. When you stop thinking about OneDrive as a way to add storage to Windows Mobile and you start thinking about OneDrive as a, as a global storage backend for everybody, and, and you do it in a big way, not just sort of like sort of half-acidly add like a web dev client for the Mac and completely forget about Linux altogether, but you really go all out like Dropbox does or Spider Oak, and you really own it, they could be incredible with their resources and their talent and their history. They could be amazing, but right now they never fully reach their potential because it's still Windows first. 
think you're smoking crack. You think so? Well, I, maybe. I, maybe. I, I think you're living in the 90s. Yeah, I, I, I don't... You think they've already made that change. I see. I disagree. I think, I think I Sachi like Nadella I, has made that change. I think everybody below, like if you were to like chop off the head of the monster, everybody below is still at war. You have a calm, cool collective Sachi Nadella saying super hip things that everybody wants to hear. But in the reality, at the end of the day, at the end of this next year, Microsoft is still a 16% larger company than they are today. And the culture hasn't been changed. It's only been made worse with people that came that were actually starting to work on Android products. And now we're going to be integrated into the Microsoft corporate culture. Okay, so you're saying because they killed the Nokia Android phones, it necessarily means that they're... I think it could, you could cite that as an example of, once again, how even under Notch, uh, Sache, Windows is still first. They may have had, I, honestly, if, on, honestly, totally, like, if they had a really good Nokia Android phone, that absolutely would be the Android phone I'd buy because before, before like, the whole smartphone revolution... I was all about Nokia. I only bought Nokias. I was a huge Nokia fan. I love Nokia hardware. I love Nokia design. I think Nokia makes some great stuff. And I, honestly, an Android, a current Android device, a device on Nokia hardware with like some of their great cameras, slam dunk for me. Slam dunk. But they just killed it. They, they might actually have a chance at, A, being an American Android handset manufacturer, or at least American-owned, because Microsoft owns that mobile division now, and, B, making one of the best devices on the market, and, C, not being in the position of HTC One, where HTC One's the only one really making really great hardware, and they're about to financially collapse. Uh, oh, okay. So, that was never... I, why would they do that? Well, why wouldn't they do that? If, if it was a separate company, if that mobile division wasn't part of this overall strategy, why wouldn't they just make the best mobile phone that could sell great? They might, but, I mean, so if Nokia was still by itself and they decided to drop Windows, right, they would still have some pretty pretty severe competition from Samsung. Yeah, for sure. Um, and dealing with Google is not necessarily a walk in the park. No, no. So now a Microsoft-owned Nokia... First of all, any accommodation to Google, where Google is able to get data, data therefore monetize Microsoft users, right? It, I mean, that's just irresponsible. That just can't well, happen. I guess I'm looking at it. To me, Windows Mobile is a zombie. It's dead. It's not going to go anywhere. It might see a couple of percentage. I think proof. it is. I think there's arguments to say kill Windows Phone and just be a software company. But the the idea that they should adopt Android is kind of well, not Microsoft. If they split up. Right, right. I think it's really a shame that Microsoft bought Nokia. I would really love to have seen them keep at that for a couple of years. But uh, the thing is, is right now the Android ecosystem is pretty depressing. You have Samsung at the top, and they've lost money now for the last two consecutive quarters on Android. You've got LG, who doesn't make any money. You've got Sony, who doesn't make any money. It's a horrible system. Nobody is making yeah. a truly first-class product and actually making money, too, so it's sustainable. See, the key part about these companies making money is that it means they can keep doing it. And if they can't yeah. keep doing it, it's pointless. I think the thing you really, you really want to be afraid of is not, is not really Microsoft, in my opinion. It's, I mean, this has nothing to do with Microsoft, the topic you, uh, that we were talking about. But how much sway Samsung still has over Android, right? They're already trying to dictate, um, you know, they're already trying to dictate how the 
what is it? The Android Wear is going to work. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure that has anything to do with Microsoft. I mean, it's, you know, if you were a Microsoft fan, which you definitely aren't, um, it's certainly frightening how quickly this reversal came, right? And in a lot of ways, it's probably an indictment of Balmer. Yeah. Um, and I think you could make a good argument that they kind of they kind of need a you know if Microsoft fired an entire layer of management tomorrow they'd probably be better off. I think they blew it. Um, and I think they blew it so bad that they don't really have a choice to try to push Windows Mobile as a mainstream platform. I think they just they just blew that opportunity so bad. And I I don't know the reason the, the core I'm getting at here is I think Microsoft could be better at the things that they have potential to be successful, like where you see them going. I think they have even potential to be even better at that, which would directly benefit developers. Like if, if Azure could be even better and if all of these back-end services could be better, as something that maybe worked across Android, iOS, BlackBerry, everything so well, like as well as the native solutions do as well as they could, Microsoft could own it. And I think out of any company that's in the market right now, they would and could be the ones that could technically actually pull it off they have the financial and technical resources and the data center infrastructure but it's just not going to happen now i mean no, it, it will happen to the to their it, what's going to happen is sort of a you know uh a little bit watered down version of what it could be like everything else you are so sad chris i've never I'm a little worried about you. No, I, I just, I, I, I just, I, because I see the potential and it's kind of frustrating, you know. And I think too that there is maybe a little more now that now that now that Windows isn't the linchpin. There's not really a centerpiece to Microsoft now. There's a lot of really good, healthy bits, some not so good bits, and some potential bits. But there's not that mm. hub, that that hub that everything branched off of anymore. Now is the opportunity to draw lines and say, this is Microsoft Services and this is Microsoft division, uh, Devices, uh, and they are two separate companies and they are not related to each other's profit margins. They can go off and fail or succeed on their own. And you know that if you made a cut like that, that would restructure the company's culture. That would sort of be a massive reset, right? Sache leads the uh, the side that gets Azure, absolutely. And I, I don't know. That, I think that would really blossom into something amazing, a true competitor to Google and others. Because they're not just some startup. They're, they're freaking Microsoft with all of their resources and all of their money. And they would have a clean pass to just go whole, fo- whole hog at owning th- that end of the market with no, no legacy attachment. I can fantasize, at least, I suppose. Yeah, I just don't see it as a thing that's a little, you know... Never going to happen. Yeah, it, it, it's... Yeah, all right. All right. Never. Well, maybe uh, for posterity, historians will look back at this episode and say, up, oh, Chris called it 200 years ago, or something like that. I can say that. Hey, I got... You know what? We, should, we could wrap it up on a positive note. I got something that's Let's kind of fun. It. You know, uh, yesterday, 45 years ago... At uh, 2.39 UTC on Monday, July 21st, 1969, Armstrong opened the hatch, and at tw- uh, 2, 2 a.m., uh, 51 UTC, he began his descent onto the lunar surface 45 years ago. Well, it turns out the Apollo 11 guidance source code is available online if you really want to go retro. And uh, it was pretty cool. I thought that's a really neat thing. It might be something our audience just... Wanted to take a poke at. It's kind of a kind of incredible resource to have on there. I wanted to also say say thank you to Doctor Zoidberg. I'm sure the real Doctor Zoidberg for submitting that to the Coda Radio subreddit. Mister Donald, did you know we have a subreddit that people can go to at CodaRadio.reddit.com? 
I love the Reddit. Yeah, it's it's pretty fancy, and uh, it's a great way for you to give us an idea of the type of topics you'd like to have covered on the Coda Radio program. It's also a good spot to give us feedback and gives the community a chance to chime in. You go there. We take the temperature of it every week, see what you guys want to talk about. Also, join us live. Go over to jblive.tv. We do the show Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, where you can suggest show topics, anything like that. Mr. Dominic, anything else you want to cover before we wrap up this week? I think we're good. All right, well then why don't you give people a friendly suggestion of where they could find a little more Dominic throughout the week. They can find me at Dumanuko on Twitter and they can go to fingertiptech.biz. Nice, I like that. I'm going to be at OSCON the next couple of days. If you want to see what I'm up to, meet me there if you're going to be in the Portland area. Otherwise, follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash chrislas. And I was serious. I really would love to have you join us live next Monday, jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that in your time zone. Oh, we got to get your feedback, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact, choose quarter radio from the drop down, anything we talked about. We'd love to follow it up. Thanks. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Quarter Radio. See you right back here next week.